Not long after he became the president of the famous Tuskegee Institute here in the state of Alabama, Booker T. Washington was walking through a very exclusive part of town, and he was stopped by a very wealthy woman who, because he was simply wearing regular clothes and was out in the middle of the day, did not recognize who he was just by, by sight. And so she called out and asked if, if he would like to earn a few extra dollars by chopping wood for her. Well, he didn't have any particular pressing business at the moment, and so the president of Tuskegee Institute went to her backyard and rolled up his sleeves and picked up an axe and began to chop wood for this lady that he did not know. But he took the job a step further. He even took the logs that he had chopped and brought them inside to her house and placed them near where they were needed by the fireplace. And when he did that, the story is told that a young girl who was in the house recognized who this was who had been out back chopping the wood, recognized his identity, and told the lady of the house, well, the next morning, the lady was very embarrassed that she'd asked the president of, a, of, a, of an institution to do such a thing. And so she went to Tuskegee Institute and asked if she could have an audience with the president of the school. And he agreed to see her, and she walked in and apologized all over herself for asking this president of the institute to, to do such a meager job. The famous story comes back that Booker T. Washington looked at the lady and said to her, It's perfectly all right, ma'am. Occasionally... I enjoy a little manual labor, and besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. Here was someone who could have pulled rank. He could have turned down the job. He could have, when she came to his office, he could have jumped all over her, but instead, he showed true humility. And that's what we're thinking about this morning. The Bible teaches us to be humble. We know that from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. But sometimes we struggle with that. In our modern world of, of making sure that we're getting ahead and making sure that we, we have everybody knowing what we're doing and building our own platform, it can be so difficult to seek humility. But what does humility even mean? If you were to look up the word humility in the dictionary, you'd find something like this. A modest opinion or a modest estimate of one's own importance. Notice that it does not say no estimate or, or no opinion. Anyway, it's, it's not beating ourselves down all the time. We must have some opinion of ourselves. If, if we were completely beaten down all the time, we wouldn't so much as take care of ourselves. We would see ourselves as unworthy of even eating or seeking medical care if we needed such a thing. But it's a modest opinion. We don't toot our own horn, but we see ourselves as equal with others. And we see ourselves certainly as unworthy of approaching the God of heaven. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus told the parable we read together a few moments ago. And I hope you open your Bibles back to Luke chapter 18. If you have your Bible open there, you'll have the entire outline for our lesson right there in your lap. The parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector, or the publican as some translations have it. But did you notice as we began that reading a few moments ago that Luke recorded for us the reason why Jesus told that parable? That's not the only time, by the way, Luke would do such a thing. It's not the only time Luke would give kind of an introduction as to why Jesus told a parable. For example, if you're in Luke chapter 18 and you glance all the way back up at the beginning of the chapter, you'll notice that Jesus told a parable, and Luke tells us that it was a parable about prayer, that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. And now as he comes down to the parable that we're discussing, Jesus tells a very short parable, but Luke tells us the motivation behind it. In verse 9, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. 
It is a parable completely about self-estimation, about humility. And in this short parable, we want to study it in three parts. We're going to notice the Pharisee. We're going to notice the public under the tax collector. And then we're going to notice the purpose that Jesus gave, the concluding statements that Jesus gave at the end of the parable. First of all, if you're looking at the parable, notice with me the haughty Pharisee. I know it's just a parable. It's not a real story. It's, it's, it's something Jesus told just to illustrate a point. But am I the only one who gets just a little bit red in the face when you read about this guy? Your blood boils just a little bit as Jesus sets up the story with this Pharisee. In fact, Jesus makes sure that we're angered, if not at least frustrated, by even before this man opens his mouth to pray. Did you notice that little detail that Jesus put in the parable in verse 11 that the Pharisee was standing by himself? Now that sounds spiritual in certain ways, but I'm going to prove to you in a few moments it's really not. He was going to the holy place, the temple, to pray. But when he gets there to offer his prayer, he isn't about to be touched by the riffraff of society. Instead, he's going off by himself to pray. When we get to the tax collector in a few moments, I'll show you why I say that. But the prayer the man prays is what's sickening. Have you ever considered the fact, though, that if he had prayed just a four-word prayer, we would be amazed by this guy? Because the first four words of his prayer are beautiful. God, I thank you. Now, if he had stopped right there, we would go, that's a, that's a great prayer. We're taught to pray with thanksgiving. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. It's, it's the right beginning to a prayer. Because all that we have and all that we need in life, God gives to us. And we're to have hearts that are filled with gratitude. As I said in Philippians 4, 6, Paul tells us, With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And so through four words, it's a beautiful prayer. But what this man is thankful for is why we call him haughty or arrogant. It's what gets our, our blood boiling a little bit. His prayer falls into two parts. First, this man takes the time to list off for God all the things he does not do and compare himself with other people and why he's so much better than everybody else. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And by the way, keep that little phrase, like this tax collector, keep that in your mind. We'll get back to that in a few moments. Think about what this man is doing. All he has done is line up in his mind some sins that other people do and then presume to show God, I don't do those things, so I must be okay. There's a lot of flaws with that. But there's one that should just jump off the page to us. Why doesn't this man list every sin that other people commit? You see, he can list these things, and maybe he is not an extortioner, or maybe he is a just person. Maybe he has been faithful to his wife. He's not an adulterer. But he has to stop there, because if he keeps listing off sins that other people commit, eventually he's going to get to one that he's committed, or at least one he's tempted to commit. He can only line up the comparison or the contrast in his mind so far. But even more than that, how arrogant is it to pray to God telling Him how wonderful you are for not having committed some particular set of sins? But then this man goes a step further, and he lists for God sort of what I like to call his spiritual resume. 
The Pharisees were all about accounting for their own good works. And so this man decides to share with God that he's even more righteous than the Old Testament law required. He said, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get or all that I receive. We sometimes speak about fasting and people ask, are we required to fast? It's fine to do, but the New Testament does not require us to fast. But even as commonly as we read about fasting in the Old Testament times... The law of Moses actually only required one fast per year, and that was on the Day of Atonement. But so often we read about fasting in the Old Testament, and we see people fasting out of their devotion to God, or when they're facing a difficult uh, time in life. You might think, for example, of Esther, who before she was going before the the king, said that her and her maids, or her and her servants, were going to fast for three days and ask others to do the same. Obviously because she was facing an excruciating decision in her life, a time in her life, and she wanted that time to spend in prayer and thought and preparation. But they were only required by the Old Testament law to fast that one day a year. But the Pharisees, many of them actually fasted twice each week, just like this man had done. As I was studying this lesson, I actually saw this in one place, and I thought, there is no way. And the more I read, the more I found it. There are some scholars who suggest that many Pharisees fasted twice a week, and their typical days of fasting were Monday and Thursday, as we would have it recorded, which just happened to be the days that most Jews came out from the countryside into the city to do their market work. By the way, tie that to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount When you fast, do not disfigure your faces so that no one knows that you're fasting. Why would he have to say that if these people weren't doing it? They made sure they fasted on just the right day and looked just the right way so people would look at them and go, wow, that one's got it together. I mean, I just saw him three days ago and he was fasting then too. It's impressive. And so this man comes before God and says, I fast twice a week. And further... The Old Testament law only required them to tithe or to give a tenth to the priest of their harvest or of their produce. This man wanted to show how great he was, and so he tithed on everything he got or everything he received. Now again, there's nothing wrong with that. But did he really have to come before God and read that as part of his spiritual resume? Present that before God in prayer? God, you know that I I tithe a tenth of everything that ever comes into my possession. I think William Barclay had it right when he wrote his commentary on Luke and he said about this man, he said, the Pharisee did not really go to pray. He went to inform God how good he was. May I ask a question? Is it not at least possible that we can be tempted to have the same mindset? Now, I doubt any of us would ever pray a prayer that's exactly like this man's. God, let me read you my resume, and let me tell you why I'm better than everybody else. But can we not be tempted at times to look at other people and say, I'm better than they are, so I must be fine. And I do this, and I do this, and in fact, it's above and beyond what the New Testament requires, so therefore, God sure is lucky to have me on his team. That's the arrogance of this man. Contrast that with the humble publican or tax collector. There is so much of a contrast in this parable. It's found in both their composure as well as even in the wording of their prayers. First, we're told that this tax collector was standing far off or standing afar. Now, remember I told you to keep in mind, we studied the, the, the Pharisee, that he was standing by himself. To keep that phrase in mind, here's, here's why. The Pharisee said, I'm not like this tax collector. Some years ago, 
I sat through a presentation by a brother in Christ, Wayne Bryant. And he's, he's an archaeologist, or he was an archaeologist. And he was sharing some things about the temple. And he was talking about certain things from the temple and how they fit in with different biblical stories. And the one I remember all these years later is this one. He pointed out this particular parable. And he said the way that Jesus said it and the way that the people would have heard what he said was that the Pharisee was standing by himself, probably meaning he went past all the riffraff of society and possibly even up onto the porches or the portico of the temple in order to pray. While the publican or the tax collector was simply standing out among the masses, standing far off and praying. Now keep that in mind, if that's the case. When the Pharisee looked out and said, I'm not like this tax collector, he was probably simply pointing at a mass of humanity and picking somebody out and saying, I'm not like that one. Looking out or maybe even looking down. The publican, the tax collector, simply came in probably to the courtyard area of the temple, stood far off, and offered his prayer. But even more than that, we see that Jesus said the man would not even so much as as lift his eyes to heaven. And most of the time when we pray, we teach our children to bow their heads, maybe even fold their hands or something like that. And, And the Bible doesn't tell us that there's a correct or incorrect posture as far as our physical bodies for prayer. It's not a requirement of the New Testament to bow our heads or to fold our hands. But that's how we typically teach our children to pray because we're teaching them that if by, by bowing our heads, it's as if we're, we're bowing our hearts, we're humbling ourselves before God. Most Jews, even today, when they pray, look upward. And sometimes they even lift their hands upward. And so it's all upward facing as if they are speaking directly to God. And so when Jesus says this man would not lift his eyes to heaven, he's saying this was a sign of humility. He didn't feel he was worthy to directly address God, to even look in that direction. And further, as I said, Jews often lifted their hands in prayer. This man wasn't doing that, was he? He was beating his his breast or his chest as he prayed throughout the centuries. That motion has been a constant reminder of anguish, frustration, humility, even at times sinfulness. Everything about the man's composure speaks humility. But then the major contrast is seen in the words of his prayers. The prayer of the Pharisee is 33 words in length in the English Standard Version. Yes, I took the time to count them. Okay, If I miscounted, just tell me later. But all of it, after God I thank you, all of it is arrogant. It is self-centered. It's why I'm better than everybody else. The prayer of the tax collector is seven words long. And it shows true humility in the presence of, of a perfect and holy God. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you were to translate that prayer literally, what the man literally prayed was, God, be merciful to me, one who is preeminently wicked. Now, I doubt that everything this man did was sinful. In fact, here he is praying. So we know not everything the man did was sinful. But when we look at the perfection of Almighty God and we see our lives, our sin, in light of that, this needs to be our prayer at times. But you know, I also doubt that the words of the Pharisee were false. I I, I bet the Pharisee did, in fact, avoid the sins that he had listed. I I bet he did tithe a tenth of all he did. I, I bet he did fast twice a week. But folks, true humility comes when we compare our lives not with the lives of other people, since all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. True humility comes when we lay the record of our lives down in comparison with the holiness of God. And it's that kind of humility that would later be displayed by the Apostle Paul. We, we lift Paul up, and we should. He's an amazing individual. But have you ever considered the fact of how often Paul wrote things about himself and basically said, I'm, I'm not worthy of these things? 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 9, I'm the least of all the apostles. Ephesians 3 and verse 8, I'm the very least of all the saints. And maybe more famously than any of those, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Or some translations have, of whom I am chief. Now we could push back against those things and say, wait a minute, this is Paul. I mean, he, he wrote half the New Testament. He was the greatest missionary the world has ever known. It's remarkable what Paul did. And we can push back and say, Paul, that, that's just not right. You're not the chief of all sinners. You're not the foremost of all sinners. But Paul was not looking at this compared with other sinners. Paul was looking at this compared with a holy God. I'm not worthy. I'm not trying to outdo somebody else. I'm saying when I look at God... I am the foremost, the chief of all sinners compared to that. There's a major difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector that we always need to keep in mind when we read this very brief parable. And that is the Pharisee basically compared himself to other people and the tax collector seems to be chosen at random. I'm not like him. But the tax collector mentions nobody but himself. He ha- he's not just concerned about being better than somebody else and because of that earning the approval of God. Instead, this tax collector seems to just say that I have sin in my life. And because I know there's sin in my life, I'm preeminently wicked. But I'm going to lean on the mercy of God, not on my own doings and How wonderful I am. And it's with that contrast in mind then that Jesus gives the holy purpose. You know, not every parable that Jesus told ends with a point of application. Not every parable ends with sort of a a rest of the story. But this one actually ends with both of them, even as short as it is. Jesus makes sure that we grasp the point of this very brief parable in a couple of different ways. First, Jesus adds kind of a conclusion to the parable. We might think that Jesus just talked about the prayer of one to the prayer of the other, and that's the end of the story. But Jesus instead gives us the rest of the story, beginning of verse 14. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than than the other, the public, or the uh, Pharisee. Now think with me just for a second. Get your thinking caps on. Don't you think that both men in this parable thought they left justified? We know the Pharisee would have because he thought he was justified when he showed up. But Jesus says, I'm giving you a glimpse into the mind of God. And in the eyes of God, in the mind of God, this man, the tax collector, is the one who left that day just as if I'd never sinned, justified in the eyes of God. But if that wasn't enough, Jesus then gives us the purpose of the parable in words that he will repeat several times to his ministry, or at least summarized several times his ministry. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. It's a parable about humility. 
It's a parable about dealing with pride, particularly dealing with religious pride. I can begin to sort of feel my oats a little bit when it comes to my faith and talk about all that I've accomplished for the Lord. Those things are are good to do those things. It's wonderful, and we should always be striving to do as much good as we possibly can do and do all those things to the glory of God. That's, That's wonderful, and that's good. But why? Why do we do those things? Are we doing those things to impress other people? Are we doing those things so that we're impressing God? Are we doing those things because we've set some standard of holiness and I can always jump over my own standard? I I can make sure I live up to the standard that, that I've set. You see, it's so easy to set a standard for righteousness that I can always live up to. I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I do that. Check. I'm fine. I've done everything I need to do. I'm a cut above our wicked and immoral society, so I must be fine. I don't commit X, Y, and Z sin, so I'm okay. And boy, God sure is lucky to have me on his team. If I ever begin to think that way, I have got to be careful. Because I'm exalting self. And Jesus says the one who exalts self, ultimately, will be humbled. That's why we're calling this lesson true humility. Because I will either be humble in this life or I will be humbled on the judgment day. It's not about measuring up to some earthly standard. It's about looking at myself and comparing myself with the perfect standard of God, with the holiness of His Word, and realizing I am always And it's rare we can use that word, but it's true here. I am always in need of the mercy of God. Because too often, my my sin, my wickedness is revealed in my attitudes, my thoughts, my words, my actions, in so many other ways. True humility is hard. We we don't want to have poor self-esteem. We we don't want to feel down about ourselves. And the point of Jesus' parable is not to make us feel bad about ourselves 100% of the time. The point of the parable is for when we begin to think too highly of ourselves, to realize that there are areas in our life where we always need to be improving. We will have shortcomings at times, but also to make us realize that when we see those things, God's mercy is always there. And upon it, we rely Two points of application, and then the lesson will be yours. First, I want to make a point of application while you go ahead and fold your papers up. Go ahead. I want to make a point of application for when I come to worship. When I come to worship, I should be changed. It's wonderful to be encouraged. It's wonderful to see people. It's wonderful to socialize and and to enjoy each other's company. Folks, when I realize that God allows me in his presence every week, I should be changed by that. I should be humbled by that. Because I am singing to, praying to, studying the word of, communing with a perfect and holy God, and I'm not worthy of that. But I think the major point of application is, if you please, more of a Monday through Saturday thing. It is so hard to fight the temptation 
We want people to know all the good that we've done for God. And sometimes we we even want to tell God our spiritual resume. God, don't you understand what I've done? Don't you understand I've even gone above and beyond? I've gone that second mile. I've done more than I ever thought I could do. And in some way I want God to be impressed by that. And if I ever begin thinking that way, I need to remember what he's done for me. I work so hard for Jesus, I often boast and say, I've sacrificed a lot of things to walk the narrow way. I gave up fame and fortune. I'm worth a lot to thee. And then I hear him gently say to me, I left the throne of glory and counted it but loss. My hands were nailed in anger. Upon a cruel cross. But now, we'll make the journey with your hands safe in mine. So take the cross and follow close to me. There are so many people in this room who do so many good things. And a lesson like this can discourage that, and that's not the point. The point of the lesson is not to discourage doing what's good, doing what's right, seeking to do that second mile service. The point of the parable was given by Luke at the beginning. Am I seeking to justify myself and look at contempt at others? The point of the parable is given by Jesus himself. The one who exalts himself will be humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Keep doing good works. But always remember. Always remember. That the prayer of the tax collector needs to be our daily prayer. God, be merciful to me. He left more than I ever will. He gave more than I ever could. And he offers far more than I could ever deserve. May I simply ask a gentle question this morning? Do you need to show humility? Do you need to return to him to take up that cross and keep doing good works, but not out of self-exaltation, but so that he is exalted through your life and through your heart? Have you ever become a Christian? A brother and sister in Christ, do you need to return to faithfulness? Our prayer this morning is that your thoughts as we sing will be, God, be merciful to me. We would love to baptize you into Christ if you've never been baptized. We would love to pray with you for encouragement or strength. Whatever your need is, will you come? Will we stand and sing to encourage you?